April 5th, 1945, just four short days after Easter, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a priest, was celebrating the Eucharist with his fellow prisoners at the Buchenwald concentration camp. While he was in the midst of actually speaking the words of institution, a group of SS soldiers entered in to take him away. And he looked at those men, and in not too many words, he basically told them, give him a minute so he could finish. He looked at the soldiers who had come to bring him death to move him to another concentration camp in Flossenburg, and he said, he said he needed to finish this first, because he wanted to receive this one last time the body and blood of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to also give it to his other prisoners who were there with him. After the Eucharist, he said to one of his fellow prisoners to make sure the bishop knew what had happened to him. And he said these final words. He said, this is my end. For me, the beginning of life. Six days after that day, Allied troops came into Buchenwald and released all the prisoners. Dietrich von Hafer was moved to Flossenburg and three short days later was killed, executed. One of, his, one of those who executed him said when asked of Dietrich von Hafer, he said this, I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and certain that God heard his prayer. I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. A man who truly understood his life. His life was not his own but given to him by his God. And who in that final act poured out his very blood and gave up his very flesh. So that Dietrich who was about to make a sacrifice of himself could have life. We've been talking about the what of the Eucharist. This is the body and blood of Christ, his flesh and blood for us. Jesus expounds on that idea again, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is no small thing. This is a supernatural, unbelievable act that he would give us all of him, not in thought, but in physical reality. But we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we come to the Eucharist? Why do we keep coming back to this place to receive his body and blood? And Jesus says today, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life, resurrection. Eternal life is something we we hunger for. Most religions have some concept of an eternal life, of of a heaven and a hell. Even the the secularists, even those who are in this field of science and medicine, and want nothing to do with, with religion, still are on this quest for immortality. If we can just reverse how cells degrade over time, if we can just change how the body ages, if we can just upload the mind into a virtual net, and then we can be immortal. 
we are all on this quest for immortality because I think it is speaking to our heart this deep desire that we were created to be immortal. But to what end? Okay, so we want eternal life. Why? Why do we want eternal life? I, I especially think of, of the, those involved in, in science and research and medicine trying to make us live forever. To what end? The brokenness, the pain, the suffering that we experience here, we want that forever? There's a place for that. <laughs> Complete separation from God, we call it hell. Now, eternal life has to be more than just experiencing a few more worldly pleasures alongside all the worldly pain. Eternal life has to be more. And it's something we struggle with. I think sometimes we just think it's this everlasting retirement party. It's more. It's a communion with our God. And even the reason we want eternal life, I think a lot of times, is not because we want communion with God or whatever else it may be. It's just because we're scared of death. We're conscious beings. We can, we can understand reality. We, we can think about the fact that we exist. And the idea that I no longer exist scares me. Because it's foreign. We don't know what that's like. The idea of not being anymore is frightening. But we can't escape it. It comes to us all. But the fascinating thing in Christianity, Christianity doesn't seek to escape death. It embraces death knowing there's life on the other side. That death is not the end, but for us the beginning of life. We culturally are somewhat cut off from an intimacy with death. We like to keep it at hand's reach as best we can. But for many of us, it's come calling anyways. And that pain and that suffering and that mourning is inexpressible. But we try to keep it at arm's length as long as we can, as long as it will let us. But when we cut ourselves off from the immediacy of death, we cut ourselves off from the immediacy of the Eucharist. When you come into this place to receive the body and blood of Christ, you need to confront death. You cannot walk into this place and not confront death. It's there hanging on the cross for all to see. And there are some who would come in here and say, why would you put him up there? Why would you have Jesus up there bloodied and beaten and hung for death? Why? It's disturbing. It's grotesque. There was recent, I was listening to this woman, she was speaking of her conversion as a, an adult in her late 30s, and she had a nine-year-old son who encouraged her to go to church. And one day they came home and they were talking about it, and she's like, I don't understand why Jesus had to be crucified, and I don't understand why you would put him up there. She was disgusted by it. And her son looked at her and said, well, if he did anything else, would anyone actually listen? See, the sacrifice, the sacrifice is necessary for our sake. 
When Jesus goes up into the upper room with his disciples and says, Take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. He is making real for them what he said in John 6. My flesh is real food, my blood, real drink. He's making real for them what he has already proclaimed. And within hours, he will be brought out to be, to be beaten and whipped. They will rip open his flesh and spill out his blood. With no remorse. And before even that, he took this moment in prayer. To come before his father. And ask for the strength to go through what he was about to go through. To sacrifice himself for us. And now through the Eucharist, he, he embraces us with this intimate, intimate encounter. That we would intimately encounter the divine with physical contact. That our ears would hear his promises. That our lips would feel his presence. That our tongues would taste and see the Lord is good. His salvation is at hand. His love purifies us. Through his body and blood. Given and shed for us. And this is his promise. The Eucharist is God communing with, coming into us, being received into us so he would remain, abide, dwell in us. And we would be brought up into him. And it's sin, sin, when we've taken our desire for God and directed it to all the other things of this world. When we sought endless pleasures. That's sin. We haven't trusted and relied on him. That sin cuts us off from God. And the sacrifice of Christ wipes that clean. Receiving the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Breaks down that barrier so we can commune with God. We can have fellowship with God. And the evil one spits out all these lies at us. You're not good enough. You don't deserve it. You shouldn't receive it. It's just bread. It's just wine. It's not a big deal. Just We need to spit those lies out and open to receive our Lord, our God. And then sometimes we start to tell ourselves, okay, so I received it, now I'm good, and I'll just put it on the side. I'll come back to it at some other day. I think sometimes we believe the lie that death is always a while off. Death will come some other time. Death will come when I'm ready. It's not the way the world works. That's not how things are. Because if I say that, then I can say, well, I'll just put off my relationship with Jesus until that point. Why are we waiting to receive our Lord? Could you imagine if I went home and I told my, my beautiful wife, there's a movie that just came out. It's only going to be in theaters for six weeks, but you'll still be here in six weeks. So I'm going to go see the movie and you figure things out. I'll be back. I love her. I love my kids. And I want to spend time with them. And though I'm not perfect, I, I, I desire that relationship. Do we have that same desire for a relationship with Jesus? And if so, why would we ever 
hold ourselves away from receiving him, this union with him. Eucharist is not just about getting to heaven. It's about sharing this relationship with him, this union with him. I I think of my dad. When I was a kid, all I ever wanted from my folks was presents, right? And I'm, I'm lucky. My birthday and Christmas are six months apart about. And so, like, there was a nice little rhythm to how my parents showed me love. For people whose birthdays are, like, within three days of Christmas, I feel bad for them. Your folks love you for one week, and then it's over. <laughs> I, we treat Jesus that way. Just give me, give me, give me. What can I get from you? Give me forgiveness. Give me life. Give me this. Okay, I'm good. That's not what Jesus wants. Now when I go see my father, I sit down with him. And I talk with him, and we talk about life, and we sit at a table with way too much food and, and good wine, and we, we feast that's the relationship Jesus is calling us into. And to receive him into ourselves so that our communion with him is, is, is this beautiful internal reality. And he draws us up then into his divine self like a husband who embraces his wife or a father who brings his children underneath his arms and draws them close. See, eternal life is communion with God. It's relationship with God. It's time with God. And it's not something far off. We think eternal life is something that's way out there. It's something that's a reality now. That communion with God is now. Heaven is eternal union with God. And we experience that even today. The redemption of death, the redemption of brokenness. Hell is separation from God which is what in our sin we often do to ourselves. We cut ourselves off from God. Communion, Eucharist, is being drawn into him. The reason I spoke of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is because I am absolutely astounded by his witness. Astounded. For him, the Eucharist was not some far-off thing. For him, death was not some far-off thing. While he was giving the very body and blood to those Fellow prisoners who were physically wasting away, they were full with the Spirit of God. And in his final moments, he understood that he wasn't just participating in that meal alone. As those SS soldiers came in, those soldiers had no hope. Because Dietrich and the others were surrounded by all the saints who had tasted and seen the body and blood of Christ, who have taken and eaten the flesh and blood of Christ over the ages. And they were surrounded by armies of angels willing to do the bidding of God. There was no victory death could hold over them. They had life. Even when everything seemed contrary. When he went to death, he was not alone. I have no doubt the peace he experienced and the peace others witnessed as he was on his knees in prayers before they led him off, was because he knew Jesus was with him, intimately with him. And there was no doubt. He didn't say, Easter was four days ago and I had the Eucharist, I'm good, I don't. No. He couldn't have it enough because he hungered and thirsted for his Lord. When we eat this meal today, we do so with Dietrich and all those who have gone before us, and we stare in the face of death, 
And we basically say, can you give me a minute? I'm with the Lord of life. And he wins. He has victory. He defeats you. When all is said and done, when life comes to a close, and who knows when that will be? In our youth or old age, on a deathbed or, or in an accident. When that final moment comes, I want Jesus with me. Not all the other stuff. I want Jesus with me. To hunger and thirst more for the, the flesh and blood of Christ than to be scared of the pain of death because of hope. That what is broken will be redeemed and raised again on the last day so that we can have eternal communion with him. There was a poem I read this week that just smote me about death. And I want to share it with you, and some of you don't care for poetry, and I'm sorry. I'm reading it anyways. And for some of you, maybe this will, this will ring true. It's, it's written by a na- man named George Herbert a few hundred years ago. And the name of the poem is Death. Death, thou wast once an uncouth, hideous thing, nothing but bones, the sad effect of sadder groans. Thy mouth was open, but thou couldst not sing. For we considered thee as at some six or ten years hence, after the loss of life and sense, flesh being turned to dust and bones to sticks. We looked on this side of thee, shooting short, where we did find the shells of fledged souls left behind, dry dust which sheds no tears but may extort. But since our Savior's death did put some blood into thy face, thou art grown fair and full of grace, much in request, much sought for as a good. For we do now behold thee gay and glad, as at doomsday, when souls shall wear their new array, and all thy bones with beauty shall be clad. Therefore we go die as sleep, and trust half that we have unto an honest, faithful grave, making our pillows either down or dust. It is the Savior who redeems death. May we all hunger and thirst for the warm embrace of Jesus. Not just someday, but every day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.